I've got a single verse for us, uh, but although it's only a single verse, it's loaded uh, with information and uh, I think really sort of brimming with profound truth for a guy who has a wife. Now again, as I mentioned on uh, Sunday, that if you have a wife, uh, this is good, good information. If you're a single guy, you might be thinking, what am I doing here? But you never know, maybe someday you'll be married or you'll have friends who are married and need some good counsel. <clears throat> Here's a single verse uh, that I think is going to be um, important for us to really get down, get to know. <clears throat> and uh, basically, I believe so strongly about this verse that if we would just apply this verse to uh, any marriage, whether it's a good marriage or a total failing marriage, if you apply this verse, I think it will transform any, any marriage. If, if the guy just does with it. You know, now, some guys are always like, well, what about the ladies? Uh, if you do something interesting, chapter 3 of 1 Peter, <clears throat> that's actually where we're going to be today. Why don't you turn there? 1 Peter chapter 3. It's one of the scriptures that deal with marriage. And, uh, and it's funny because there's seven main verses there that deal with marriage. Six of the verses are given to the wife. Uh, only one verse is given to the guys. Now, before we get too uh, confident about that, I think, all right. It, it, you know what the problem is, uh, I think, is um, the guys only have one verse because, well, the ladies need more instructions on how to work with, uh, with us because we're a little more high maintenance in some ways. Uh, uh, so the ladies have a lot there in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, but we're not going to look at that. We're going to look at the verse that, that is given to us guys, the single verse given by Peter. Uh, and it's 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, it's verse 7. And there it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Um, I like the uh, ESV uh, translation on that verse. I'll just read it. Like, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. <clears throat> you know, the first word there, likewise, uh, it's, it's the reason it's there because it was talking about the wives first, but but um, I really think that first word, likewise, if you just, uh, if you just change one letter, uh, uh, or, you know, uh, to put a V in there, actually, like wives, like your wives, that's what, that's what this verse is pretty much saying, like them. Uh, so you can remember that. Uh, just, in fact, if you go away from this morning not remembering anything, uh, remember this, you're supposed to really like your wife. Uh, and if you do that, you're going to be well on your way to marital bliss. Uh, if you just really like her. Uh, now, 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 some of you guys say, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, it's funny because as years go by, you know, what can happen in marriage is pretty, uh, pretty profound, how husbands and wives can very quickly or, or sometimes subtly, but, but it doesn't take long where the, the like part goes away. And uh, one of the worst things that happens to marriages is they start to grow apart and they start to uh, frustrate one another, the husband and the wife. And uh, the pattern starts to happen uh, oh so subtly, but 
people let their guards down and just kind of think, well, I'll deal with it for now and maybe later we'll deal with some of the issues that we're having. But the sad truth is um, uh, we need to just really like our wives and make sure that that's part of our deal to the day we die. There's an old parable that was told in the South Pacific Islands, Johnny Lingo's Eight Cow Wife. Uh, there's a, a parable story that was written by some, some person uh, back in the old days in Reader's Digest. Kind of an interesting story, but Johnny Lingo's eight cow uh, uh, wife. And what, what was an eight cow wife? Well, if you had a, a, you know, a, a guy who wanted to get married, he had to give one or two cows uh, for marriage to the, to the father of the, of the, of the girl. Uh, that's if she was just kind of an average girl, one or two cows. If she was beautiful... Um, then you'd give her, you know, maybe, maybe three or even four cows. If she was beautiful and smart uh, and talented and amazing on every level, you'd start bumping it up to a five-cow, six-cow uh, wife. Well, Johnny Lingo, he, he went to uh, propose, and, and he came to his girl's father, and he says, I will pay you eight cows for your daughter. Well, news got around town that Johnny Lingo paid eight cows for this girl, but everybody was stunned because Johnny Lingo's girl, well, she was not super talented. She was not overly, well, sad to say, they, they sort of whispered this around the village. She was not really that pretty. And she was awkward and kind of quiet and didn't talk to people and sort of stayed off to herself. And, and they were just shocked. Why would Johnny Lingo pay eight? cows for this wife. Well, they moved away, Johnny Lingo and his bride. And it became sort of a legend that Johnny Lingo paid eight cows for this girl that, you know, really wasn't worth it. But one of the villagers who had never met Johnny Lingo or, or his wife uh, traveled to one of the nearby islands where Johnny Lingo moved. And when he came to, he, he was curious just to see uh, what this, this girl looked like. So he kind of snuck around the village and found out where Johnny Lingo lived. And, and finally he found the hut and he knocked on the hut, and this, this beautiful woman opens the door. And she's very social and invites him in, and, and Johnny Lingo welcomes him in, and, and the parable goes where they sit down, and, and, he, and, he start, and, and, and his wife goes off into another room, and they, he starts to talk. He says, what's this deal that, you know, I, I heard there was a story on the other islands that you married this girl and paid eight cows that... But man, your wife, she's amazing. She's smart. She's very kind and beautiful. And the story's not true. He said, what? and he kind of went on and started talking about it. But the, the, the story goes kind of in this kind of cool way where basically the, 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 the truth is, Johnny Lingo, he said, I would never want my wife to feel like a one cow woman. And he started to explain that, man, when, when all the other women go around and start talking about how many cows were spent on them, they, they could make each other feel bad. He said, I would never want my wife to feel bad. He says, I have an eight-cow wife. He says, yeah, but she's so beautiful. You know, and and, and uh, the, the implication was because he loved her that much and because he invested that much in her, she, and on the other island, she didn't have much self-worth and she, she was always kind of sad because she did, couldn't talk to people. But once she realized she was worth an eight cow price, she started to rise to the occasion and, and made her an eight cow woman. The question is, if your wife's walking around Athey Creek, is she an eight cow woman? Or does she feel like an eight-cow woman? Or does she feel like, uh, now, now don't tell your wives I'm using cows. A, 
this will get me into some hot water. Uh, when we're in Israel, almost always, when, when we're walking through the markets and stuff, some of the Arab guys will offer you camels for your wife. Um, it's kind of the way they do it. Uh, it was pretty funny. My first trip to Israel, Deb and I were there back in 96, and we were with some friends, and, and uh, this guy offered me 20 camels for, uh, for, for Debbie. And, um, but the thing is, what was funny about that was, there's another girl that was with us, and she was walking down another street. We were down there, and this, this, this Arab off, offered my friend Greg, uh, um, or Jeff, pardon me, offered this guy Jeff uh, 40 cows for his wife. So Debbie wasn't offended that the guy offered ca- uh, camels. Uh, she was offended that it was only 20. Uh, she, actually, she actually said, what? She stopped. She said, I'm only 20 camels? Are you kidding me? Like, like Debbie starts bargaining uh, with this guy. And I'm like, no, uh, 20 camels? You know, come on. Uh, she was a 40 camel, you know, woman. Uh, I wonder, uh, I wonder if, if we have not only viewed our wife in that kind of value, just saying my wife is the best, but also have we built our wives up know, that they know that we really are thinking they really are the best. Um, it's a funny thing how uh, what happens in marriage, however, is, is kind of the op- opposite as far as the natural flow of things. If you just let your marriage go in the natural flow, you will start to not like each other. You will irritate one another. The natural flow is, well, you know, as you have misunderstandings and things that happen, uh, it starts to grow you apart if you're not careful. We talked about in our, our last session, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Today we're talking about uh, husbands honor your wives, even as Peter tells us here that we are to honor the wife, uh, even as the weaker vessel, and, and what that means and how important that is. So we've got this, uh, this text, and we have to kind of break it down. Um, so we're going to just jot down a few things. Number one, just if you're taking notes, you can think through some of this stuff with me. Number one, husbands are to understand their wives. That's the first thing we, we glean, I think, from this passage that you are to understand. It says, um, likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Uh, Greek word gnosko or gnosis, which is... Um, which is, uh, means to, to really know intimately and to know a lot about it. Um, the Gnostics, do you remember the Gnostics of the, of the first century? They were people who were extremely knowledgeable, or at least they thought they were. And, uh, and that's the idea, Gnostic, Gnos- Gnosis comes from that to really know about something. And here Peter is making the argument that you, uh, as a husband, you are called to really know uh, your wife. And uh, it's kind of an interesting, men are, men are often uh, pretty inept at this, at this deal, to know about our wives. In fact, we're, we're, um, we're, we're tough in that we don't want to know anything at a very deep level. Have you noticed that? Uh, guys, we like to know just a little bit about a lot. Um, but, um, uh, but our wives are wired differently. Um, I saw a thing uh, recently that was kind of funny. This guy who was talking about the differences between men and women. It was just funny. I, I don't even know how I can do this justice, but he, he was at a conference like, kind of like this, and, and he had a pillar over here and a pillar over here, and on top of the pillar was a man's head and then a woman's head. And um, it was really funny because they were funny-looking heads, but he'd walk up and talk about the man's brain, and then he'd walk over here and talk about the woman's brain. It was just kind of funny. But he, he, um, he talked about how the man's brain is just full of boxes, uh, lots of boxes, and everything's very separate. 
And uh, um, you don't let anything from one box get into the other box. They're compartmentalized. That's the man's brain. And, uh, and then he went over to the, the woman's head and they said, there's no boxes in here. Uh, but it's actually a long string of a matrix of wires. <laughs> and they're all interconnected and everything's connected one to another. And it's always going. And then he walked back over to the man and said, now, one of the man's favorite boxes <laughs> is the nothing box. There's a box that has absolutely nothing in it. It's his favorite box. <laughs> and it's just really funny because this, this guy's face on the, the, on the statue thing, it was just hilarious. Check it out sometime. It's pretty funny. I forget if you look it up, you can, you can uh, see it. But, but the, the point is men and women, are, we are wired so differently and our brains work so differently. But the idea of you wanting to know a lot about anything is oftentimes a hard thing. Uh, it's funny how we can find certain boxes in our brains that will say, I want to know a lot about golf, or I want to know a lot about, you know, my career. And we will dive into some things deeply, but when it comes to relationships, when it comes to really knowing about our wife, um, that, that's something that oftentimes we sort of lose interest or we feel like we really know our wife really well. The question is, I wonder how well you know your wife. Um, do you remember when I was a kid, there was a, there was a show on, uh, I think it was like the newlywed game. I think it's still on in different forms and what have you, but they would always have these couples sit down and try to answer questions about how much they knew about the other person and their likes and dislikes and see how close they were. And there was always funny answers because they were obvi obviously uh, disjointed and not very, you know. Once in a while you see a couple that was pretty squared away. They really knew each other. But how would you do? How would you do if, if, uh, if I had interviewed your wives? I was tempted to do this, to, to interview some of your wives before today and I was gonna interview them, and then I was gonna call you guys up and put you on the stools up here and have you answer the same questions about your wife's likes and dislikes, but I thought that'd be kind of mean, um, putting you guys on the spot like that. How would you do if, if that were the case? Would you know what your wife's favorite thing to do if she has just spare time, if she just suddenly had a whole afternoon uh, where she could do whatever she wants, what would she do? What would be her number one, just, oh, I just love to, and would you know that? Because um, that's something a good husband should know. Uh, I'm just telling you, it's something we should all know. Now, now, let me just say this disclaimer. I don't have all this stuff down uh, right now. I'm going to tell you that. Um, but it's something I really want to get down. And so it's good that we're talking about it. What, what, if, if your wife could, could uh, um, you know, go on a vacation right now, if you, if you suddenly had a, several thousand bucks and you knew you could do a fun vacation, where would she want to go? Well, I know where I want to go. I know where I would want to take that vacation. Uh, and it's funny, men, we make the mistake of thinking because we want to go somewhere, that's where she wants to go too. And amazing, your wife probably will go along with it. And say, yeah, that's, that's where I want to go, sure. <laughs> that's what I've seen. Uh, I wonder how well you know your wife. And, and that's what the Bible is telling us. It says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Or as the, uh, the ESV says, you know, um, it says to make sure and, and live with your wives in an understanding way. That is to understand what she's about, what she feels, and what she's going through. You know, um, the, the, the problem is uh, after a few years of marriage, there's disappointments and some hurts that maybe have happened between the two of you. Uh, maybe you've messed up a lot, but because of that, she's kind of got a little bit of an attitude about you. 
And so what a lot of husbands do is start to just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I don't understand her. Uh, I can't get what she, why she's moody today. Um, I don't understand why uh, we can't just be happy. Why can't we just be happy? Why can't we just be happy and move on? And so, so he, he, you know, because of that, he, he, instead of pouring into her, he starts to pour into his job or into other things, hobbies and stuff like that, because he just doesn't understand her. That's the biggest goof. <laughs> when you start to grow apart in marriage, man, that's where you need to red alert, flags should start flying, red lights and flashing uh, neon signs should start saying, red alert, you're about to blow it, huge, huge. Now I see some older guys in this congregation, so you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's a funny thing, as years go by, you know, Deb and I are nearing 30 years of marriage, and uh, it's funny how over the years, it, you think you have something down, and everything's great, but man, if you're not careful, these things can slip. Even 30 years into it, you could be doing fine, and then letting stuff slip, and not really understanding, dwelling with your wife according to understanding. So uh, the idea is uh, things often can never really be resolved. Um, so instead of you pouring into her, she's alone on the whole thing. So she starts pouring into her friends and sharing with her friends uh, her feelings. Now, by the way, a sign that you're probably dropping the ball, guys, because uh, sometimes these are hard to figure out, these things. One of the signs is if your wife is really searching for new friends and people who will spend time with her and talk with her. Um, man, I wished I, I could uh, just show you some of the things I've seen, some of the patterns that I've seen just from a pastoral point of view. Um, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym, I guess, uh, uh, and getting in shape. But man, I'll tell you, if I had a dime for every time I've heard the story where a husband and a wife, they're kind of growing apart, everything's kind of fine, seems okay. The husband sort of shrugged his shoulders, I don't really understand her, but as long as she's happy doing her thing, great. And you start living separate lives and, and stuff like that. But it, there's a funny thing about when, when you see a, a woman who, who uh, says, you know what, I'm gonna go to the gym and just get in really great shape. And it's funny because she'll find people at the gym who are willing to talk to her and trainers that are interested in what she wants and, and uh, you know, soft shoulder to cry on. If I had a dime for every time this happens uh, and guys are just glibly naive, thinking, well, my wife's just getting in shape. I'm just saying, there's nothing wrong with working out, but it's this thing about investment of time and energy. And, and is your wife, is she doing stuff today because you've dropped the ball yesterday? Because you didn't pick up where you were supposed to pick up. Is she finding ways to fill in for what your failures really are? So I've seen it go to the gym. I've seen it go to their own work. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, there's a guy that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm working with right now who just can't figure it out. But he wondered why all of a sudden his wife just really started pouring into her work. And, uh, and, and pretty soon it started being, she was super successful at her work. She started to make pretty good li uh, living. And then she was really esteemed at her job. And, and I think that this man failed in really loving his wife and, 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 and complimenting her and being her, her uh, you know, cheerleader and, and standing with her and encouraging her, she got that at work. So they grew further and further apart and the point was she became more and more independent because she was making some pretty good money. 
She was getting awards at work, and pretty soon she's hanging out with all her friends and going out to the bar after work, hanging out with her friends. He's like, where did this come from? Acting like he really didn't have any clue uh, what was going on. Maybe he didn't, but the, the truth is we can be pretty naive as men when we think, well, at least, at least she's happy. At least she's found some happiness over there. But if that goes unchecked and you're not the one to be tapping into her and loving on her and giving her <clears throat> those, those uh, glorious compliments and, and uh, encouragements, then other people are going to do that. So this idea of understanding, knowing what she's feeling, knowing where she's at, knowing what her interests are, these are things that I think dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. You know, there's, a, <clears throat> there's an old um, uh, writing that I'd like to share with you. This, this is really depressing, frankly. But uh, it's, it's what I've seen. And so uh, this, this author, I don't know who the author is. It's, it's a piece called The Wall. But uh, let's let, let listen as, as I read this. Their wedding pictures mocked them from the table, these two, whose minds no longer touched each other. They lived with such a heavy barricade between them <clears throat> that neither battering ram of words nor artilleries of touch could break it down. Somewhere between the oldest child's first tooth and the youngest daughter's graduation, they lost each other. Throughout the years, each slowly unraveled that tangled ball of string called self, and as they tugged at stubborn knots, each hid his searching from the other. Sometimes she cried at night and begged the whispering darkness uh, to tell her who she was. He lay beside her, snoring like a hibernating bear, unaware of her winter. She took a course in modern art, trying to find herself in colors splashed upon canvas and complaining to other women about men who were insensitive. He climbed into a tomb called the office, wrapped his mind in a shroud of paper figures and buried himself in customers. Slowly, <clears throat> the wall became, uh, between them rose, cemented by the mortar of indifference. One day, reaching out to touch each other, they found a barrier they could not penetrate. And recoiling from the coldness of the stone, each retreated from the stranger on the other side. For when love dies, it is not in a moment of angry battle, nor when fiery bodies lose their heat. It lies panting, exhausted, expiring at the bottom of a wall that it could not scale. Boy, I think that's oftentimes true. Uh, that, that dark picture of, of a couple growing apart and, and becoming cold toward one another. You know, the sad truth is um, that oftentimes is more one-sided than it is. This, this, this poem, or whatever that is, uh, sort of presents it as a two-sided deal. But oftentimes I've seen where that cold wall happens uh, with the wife toward her husband, and the husband thinks everything's great. Everything's great. No problemo, man. And, and, then, and then when they reach that full-on wall, we talked about the wall a few times ago, about how a wife can build bricks in her heart. And when you're mean to her, or you say things that aren't really kind-hearted and, and maybe tearing her down, a brick goes up in her heart. And then the guy, 15, 20 years in the marriage, what's wrong? I thought we had a marital bliss going on here. And she's just shut down. And as I've said before, um, I've seen a lot of miracles, but that's one of the biggest ones, is seeing a woman's heart change once she's reached that place 
where she's really shut down toward her husband. That wall is in place. That takes a miracle of God. Um, you guys can change your hearts, and, and God changes our hearts easier. It's an easier change, I think. Um, uh, but uh, the woman's heart is like the Titanic. It's a big ship, and it's hard to turn it around. You're like the jet boats on the Willamette, you know? You can spin around and do all that stuff. That's your hearts. Uh, it's not a compliment, by the way. Um, but <laughs> you're like, yes, that's me. I can change my heart in a second. Uh, that's not a compliment. Well, all that to say, um, <laughs> uh, this, this idea of the wall. Man, I hope you haven't allowed, I hope we as brothers never allow that in our, in our marriages. Um, if there's a wall that's going up where you're growing cooler, colder toward one another, more indifferent about one another, man, that's giant red alert. That's headed for real trouble. And the key is to nip that in the bud. Just, you gotta break down that wall. You gotta work at, at doing the right thing. First Peter chapter three, verse seven is where you go, what you do when that thing starts to uh, fall into place. So the idea of, of uh, husbands are to understand their wives. Um, they're, they're to understand their wives. And there's a few things that are involved in that. In that. And uh, let, me, let me help you with a few of those things. I don't have fancy alliteration. I'm just kind of talking through these points, but jot this down under that category of husbands understanding your wives. Understanding your wife involves developing and maintaining togetherness in your marriage. Uh, togetherness, uh, spending time together, um, uh, and, and, uh, and not just, just any old time. There's something in this verse that's tucked away that a lot of people miss. There's a sexual part of this verse. Did you know that? There's some serious romance and uh, sexuality in this verse, although you probably missed it, didn't you? Um, it, it's, it's right there when he says, when Peter says there uh, in verse 7, likewise, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Um, some of your margins, do you guys have a, a reference that goes with that, uh, th that word dwell? Anybody in your Bible? Does anybody have a Bible with references? Does anybody know how to use them? What's the reference associated with the word dwell there? Anybody? Bam! Thank you. Uh, what is what is First Corinthians seven? Well, verse verses one through uh, three and four kind of talks about this. It says um, uh, we're to uh, flee fornication. The idea is the, uh, sexual immorality. But to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every wife have her own husband. And the man's body is not his, it's hers. And her body is, is, is his, not hers. And, and what's really cool is uh, that's, that's the physical sexual part of marriage. So sexuality within marriage, that's the plan of God. Um, it's so easy. People say, well, what's, what's okay sexually? It's real simple, marriage. Uh, the marriage bed is undefiled. Anything outside of marriage that's sexual is sinful. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. So to avoid porneia, sexual immorality, fornication, let every man have his own wife and every wife have her own husband. It's good for a man not to touch a woman, not just touch, but sensually touch is the idea. Um, now, why is 1 Corinthians 7 uh, reference there because when it's talking about the sexual part of the relationship, it's the same word that Peter's using here. See, when Peter says to dwell with your wives, you're like, check, yes, I live with my wife. I have habitated with her in our dwelling. That's not what it's talking about here, brothers. 
It's talking about physical, uh, you know, romantic love. Uh, it's, it's talking about the sexual part of marriage. Isn't it interesting that it says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, and, and the main, it's not the only uh, connotation here, but, but, um, but it is the, the, more of the denotation, that is the literal meaning, is that it, it means that you and I, as husbands, are to make sure and know our wives, how they're feeling, and especially when it comes to the romantic side of things. You know, in our culture, I don't know if it's just our culture, but it seems like the American culture, um, you know, we've, we've, we've messed up the whole sexual thing so badly with pornography and, and just promiscuity and having sex outside of marriage. You know, our, our lines are so blurred. We, we're just totally messed up. So, you know, when you start thinking about true biblical godly sex in the Bible, one of the things you have to do is kind of start over and erase all the preconceived ideas and notions that you have because we're just totally twisted on the whole sexual thing. I think it's a little bit like the Canaanites. Uh, when the children of Israel went in, and there, were, there was so much sexual weirdness because of their paganism that that's why God said, just wipe them out, man. We gotta start over. We gotta get a clean slate when you guys move into the promised land. I, I fear that that's where we are as a culture. But all that to say, you're to dwell with your wife according to knowledge in this area of, uh, of, of sexuality. In fact, the Greek word here means more than just sharing living quarters. It's used in the New Testament, but also in the Greek Old Testament. That's the Septuagint. The same word is used several times referring to the sexual relationship in marriage. So if you're doing a word study, check it out. The Old Testament uses the same Greek word, just literally talking about the sexual relationship in marriage. Um, so what is this? A husband, according to knowledge, knowing what will promote in their marriage a healthy sex, sexual relationship along with, you know, physical closeness and uh, emotional, spiritual closeness. That's what you and I as brothers are supposed to do uh, with our wives. This is just the, the mandate from God's Word. But in our culture, a lot of times guys will just let the wife lead the way when it comes to uh, intimacy and romance. Guys will just sit around and click the TV and, and the wife will come and try to, try to be romantic and the guy's like, get out of the way, you're blocking the game. Um, and, and that's just our culture. And uh, it's, it's such a strange thing uh, because if you really think about it, brothers, you've got a real person there who loves you and wants to be with you and you've got a game. Think about it. Uh, what are we doing? Yeah, but Brett, you don't understand. Uh, we've been married a long time, and the romance of that part is gone. You know, the thing is, I, I, I fear there's a lot of reasons why romance leaves marriages fairly early these days, more, more early perhaps than, than a generation ago. And there's a lot of reasons, I think. The big one, I think, is pornography. Um, you know, guys are looking at pornography now, and, and sadly, you know, in the last decade or two, um, you know, young boys have seen stuff that, man, you know, even when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the only time you'd see something that was pornographic is if uh, somebody uh, who had a dad had like a Playboy or something, a magazine laying around the house. Uh, that was the only time a guy would, you know, because uh, as a kid, you know, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't walk into an adult shop and, you know, see stuff. And, you know, on TV, Fantasy Island was about as racist as it got back when I was a kid. But, uh, but, but uh, what happened to our culture now? Uh, well, it's interesting because law enforcement is horrified. 
We had a lady come and share with us uh, uh, and our staff, elders and deacons of several years back about, you know, sexual predators. Because churches are in fact um, a place where, that, uh, where they tend to, to try to move because everybody's so accepting and loving and forgiving and all that stuff. And, uh, and you know, the, the truth is, Athey Creek, we don't, we don't want our children here to be some kind of a test with pedophiles and stuff like that. So we're pretty hard, frankly, uh, on sexual predators. That's just the, the way it is. But, but when we had this, the lady who's the Clackamas County, the head of that whole department, she came in and shared with us, and it was horrifying. Uh, and the reason why is because how many uh, of the sexual predators they don't catch. But why, why are law enforcement in the area of, uh, you know, the um, sexual crimes and what have you, why are they horrified? They're horrified because they have, with science, this is something that we've known reading the Bible uh, for a long time, but science has now proven that when a, a, a young man starts earlier in the area of sexual promiscuity, seeing imagery and pornography and stuff like that, the earlier you start that, the problem is, the, you know, you, it's a monster that you feed. So once you look at something uh, early uh, in your life, you, you, you're intrigued by that, uh, stimulated by that, but then it takes more uh, to feed that. And so the cravings become more and more twisted, and there's a reason why, um, you know, and this is not politically correct, I'm just going to say it, there's a reason why homosexuality is so prominent today. And it has to do with uh, early uh, introduction to sexual things, it has to do with molestation, it has to do with a lot of people that haven't been caught, um, and it's, it's not me just saying this, studies have shown that one of the big things you see in homosexuality is someone who was abused when they were a child, which is so tragic. And yet the world is trying to celebrate uh, sexual liberation and all this stuff. But the sad truth is there's a lot of hurting people, a lot of hurting people. So this, this, uh, this lady came and shared with us and said, here's the problem. Uh, kids are being introduced more and more uh, early now with their iPhones and iPads and computers. And they're worried about how many sexual predators are going to be. Even in the next 10 years, there's going to be an explosion of 20-year-olds who are gonna be uh, way over the top, uh, uh, perhaps predators. And, and, and we only catch a tiny fraction, a tiny fraction of those guys. You say, Brett, what does that have to do with this? Here's the problem. You know, when we uh, look at our wives, in this modern day culture, uh, you gotta be super careful. It's so easy to, to, to uh, look the other direction. And man, you know, one of these times we're going to spend a whole time talking about pornography and stuff like that because that's a, a big enough for at least one or two sessions for sure. Uh, but here's the thing about that. Um, if you're engaging in that kind of stuff, if, if you're looking at images and stuff like that, uh, there's no question that your desire for your wife will diminish. It's just the way it is. And how sad it is that so many wives wonder why their husbands have grown cold toward them physically. Bible says no. The Bible says, husbands, you dwell with your wives, and we dwell, let's just say, be romantic with your wives, um, according to knowledge, knowing what her needs are, knowing what she wants, knowing what she enjoys, and looking out for her needs. If you're the husband where she has to make the, the advances toward you, uh, to have a physical relationship and you just kind of wait around until she makes that uh, advance, God forbid. 
I think the Bible is telling us it should be the opposite, that husbands are supposed to initiate that kind of romance. And if you're not doing that, this is a challenge from God's Word, I think, today, saying, husbands, dwell with your wives intimately, is the idea there, according to knowledge, and and it's your responsibility, not hers. That's an interesting thing. It's almost like the Lord takes everything in marriage and says, guys, I want you in charge of the things you're not good at. It's funny to me, as I read the Bible, husbands, you know, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And frankly, that's our weakest thing. And maybe this is too, dwelling with your wives according to knowledge. So a husband has to promote this in his relationship. Um, It's it's significant that Peter is putting the responsibility of togetherness uh, on the man in the marriage, not the wife. So uh, take the initiative. Uh, Man, there's some real practical stuff for you guys to work on, isn't it? Right now go home and say, okay, I'm going to take the initiative and I'm going, to, um, I'm going to make my wife know that I love her so much that um, I'm going to initiate romance in our marriage. And I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, just sending her flowers and stuff like that. I, those, are, those are good steps in the right direction. But your job is to say, how can I um, make my wife feel like the eight cow woman so much that she feels good enough to, to be romantic with, with me? important. Well, uh, uh, so you got to understand your wife, develop it, that, that togetherness, and, and you need to understand her well. In fact, every one of us should be an avid student of our wife and, and what she likes and what her heart is feeling and, and what have you. Um, man, I think that guys, one of the things we don't do very well is communicate uh, and, and sit and talk. Uh, we grunt and ugh once in a while when our wife's trying to talk to us. But, but to actually have an active conversation where you're, you're literally asking her questions so that you can know her well. Um, you know, a lot of guys might say, well, Brett, that doesn't really come very natural for me. Um, f- what I see of a show of hands, how many of you it comes really naturally to have a deep, intimate talk with your wife? Raise your hand. Three. Okay, good. That's good. Three guys. Man, uh, talk to those guys after the service. Those guys, good, that's great. Uh, But most of us, that doesn't come real natural, does it? But you know one of the best things uh, that I think happens is, and I'll bet you the brothers that just raised their hands, I'll bet you if I were a betting man, I'll bet you that that, that's something they've developed over the years. Uh, They've developed that natural ability just to have a good, deep conversation. And by the way, there are some of you guys that are just wired different than other guys. Uh, once in a while, I meet couples where it's a complete reversal. She's like a man and he's more like a woman, uh, just in the way that they think and feel. And I've actually seen that. Uh, I've done weddings, you know, where the wife's just like uh, standing there, you know, holding on to her husband. And he's just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, like, it's, so, it's so funny. Once in a while, you do get that switcheroo there, but that's okay. Um, uh, but, but, but most of the time, and I'm speaking in generalities, that um, it's, it's harder for us guys to sit and have really deep, meaningful conversation. Um, and it does take work. For a lot of you, it takes a lot of hard work. But anything worthwhile takes work, right? Anything worthwhile. And, and your marriage is worthwhile spending some time uh, being a student of your wife. Know her personality. Know what her likes and dislikes are. Uh, do you know what your wife's most afraid of? If you, if you were to answer that question, right, what, what is she most afraid of? Spiders. No, you know what I'm talking about, more life things. Like, what, what's her greatest fear? Is it going down financially? 
Do you know that about your wife? You know, um, going down financially, and, and a lot of you guys, that's something we just don't fear. I'll tell you why guys don't fear that as much. We know that if we have to, we can get two jobs, work two or three jobs. We know that we're not going to starve. Guys know that, man, I can go out and work. I can do something to pay the bills. Uh, but, but many of your wives don't know that. They don't have that confidence. You know, you might have a great job and have worked there for 25 years and your wife's still wondering, oh, are we gonna be able to pay the bills? That's just, uh, some, some women are just wired with that worry and, and it's your job to make sure and know that about her and bring her mind to ease and encourage her. I remember my mom, she worried about that um, and I'll tell you why, you know, my dad being in construction you know, as uh, I remember in the 60s and 70s when I was just a little kid, um, construction jobs weren't always easy to come by. And that's why we had to move from town to town, wherever a, a dam was being built or a bridge or something. Uh, but, but jobs were a little bit hard to come by uh, during some of those times where there was a, you know, a real down, downswing in the whole construction industry. And, and we were wondering if we would have food on the table. But I always remember my dad consoling my mom, just saying, honey, it's going to work out. The Lord's going to provide for us, and we have nothing to worry about. And, and his strong hand telling her that that, that that fear that she had, that it was all going to be okay, and that the Lord was going to take care. I could see, I remember as a little kid, just seeing my mom's countenance be lifted up. She'd have this dark countenance of kind of being afraid. I'm just like, oh man, things are... Um, there's a picture of my mom that's kind of interesting. Back in the 70s, we were, we were living in a house that was just in studs. My dad was sort of building a house for us while, we, while he'd work at another job, he'd come home and start working on our house. As soon as the, there was siding on the outside, there was no insulation or anything, just, just siding and a roof. And my mom's cooking on a Coleman stove. I got this picture uh, of my mom cooking on a Coleman stove for our family. But I, it's funny because my mom has this glowy countenance, but in that picture, you can see that her countenance is down. And I remember that was a tough season for us. But I always remember my strong dad who'd come and reassure my mom and I'd watch her countenance lift. Um, isn't that what the Lord does with us? Thou, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You're the, you're, you're the lifter of my head. That's the idea. When you lift the head, it's a lifter of the countenance. And that's what God does for us. Husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church, lifting up her countenance. How you doing? Do you know what lifts her countenance? These are the things that you and I should be students of, students of what is her fears, her hopes, her joys. Um, now, by the way, one of the dangers of knowing your wife and her fears and the things that shake her up, and you know, there's a certain risk involved with you abusing that knowledge. Uh, let me just say this, this almost goes without saying, but uh, the, the thing is you should never bring up a vulnerable point as artillery against your wife in a disagreement. Doesn't that kind of go without saying? The reason I say that, though, is I've, I've seen that in marriage counseling sessions where a guy will just hold that artillery in his back pocket, and then when she says something where she gets him, he pulls out the thing that she fears or something that causes her great trouble, and he can just abuse her with that information. Man, if anybody wanted to do that, it's Jesus to you and me. Christ, who is our bridegroom, we're the bride, Christ, could have, he could wipe us out with things he knows about us, don't you think? But man, I love how the Lord's mercies are new every morning and he puts our sins away and, and he covers us and robes us in his righteousness. That's what a husband does. 
good husband. So you gotta understand her well on all those things. You also need to understand her spiritually. Do you know um, what she feels about the Lord? Do you know how her relationship with the Lord is? Um, uh, have you talked with her much about the Lord? Uh, th- this means that you know, if you're spiritually passive, as so many men are, uh, that's gonna hurt your relationship. You're not being obedient to the Word of God. He wants you to be a spiritual leader in your home. So dwelling with your wives according to understanding uh, also includes this spiritual leader, leadership. Now, here's the problem. Many of you guys probably don't do that. If you don't do that, here's why. You feel inadequate spiritually. If I were a betting man, I'll bet that there's a bunch of you guys that you just know your wife's more spiritual than you are. She knows the word better than you do. Um, you know, it's funny, I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Debbie knows the word better than I do. And she's smarter and she's more spiritual and she's always reminding me to pray when I'm trying to figure it out mathematically. And I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Uh, the, the point is, don't be bummed out by that and don't be intimidated by your wife's spirituality. That's, her, that's one of her gifts. Women are wired to be more spiritual. I believe that biblically. Uh, You say, but Brett, then why does God make the man in charge of the spiritual things in the church? Why does the man, 1 Timothy chapter 2, God says he wants men only teaching doctrine in the church. And he wants the women to be silent when it comes to doctrine. Does that mean men are better and smarter? Uh, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think men are dumber, so the Lord says, guys, step it up. And there's something about guys. Now, I'm knocking us pretty bad. I'm I'm putting us all down. But we have our strengths too, don't we? One of the strengths that we men have is we're not so spiritual that we're easily duped by spiritual uh, weirdness. Uh, And and it goes all the way. Even even Paul pulled back from Genesis when he said, the reason the woman's not to usurp authority over men in the church in the area of doctrine and teaching the word is because of what happened in the garden. There, Eve was deceived, not the man, Eve was deceived by the serpent who said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be enlightened. Enlightenment, that's a spiritual thing. And I always remind the guys, would you have been tempted by that? If you saw a snake in in a garden and he said, hey, you'll be like Oprah Winfrey. You will be enlightened spiritually. You'll be Shirley MacLaine, Oprah Winfrey, and people will love to hear your great wisdom flowing from your enlightenment. You'd say, huh, whatever. I love it. Uh, You know, the truth is she was uh, tempted by uh, enlightenment. He was tempted by a naked lady. Uh, That's why he ate the fruit. Eve's like, come over here uh, and eat this fruit. It's really good. And Adam says, okay. Now, by the way, uh, if you're thinking that that's tough on the women, the funny thing is who gets the blame for the original sin there in the garden? But who did it first? Eve's the one who ate it first, but it's funny how God doesn't hold her accountable. And I think there's something going on there that has to do with a couple things. One, she was deceived by the serpent. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam knew that he wasn't supposed to eat of that fruit, and he went ahead and bit into it anyway. And that's why it's Adam's sin. You know, even even in the New Testament, the the first Adam, he's the one who ushered sin into the world. Um, it's, It's interesting because the second reason I think God holds Adam accountable is that he, he wasn't covering his wife. Have you ever wondered where was Adam in the Garden of Eden? What was he doing? Because I, I have a hunch, had Adam been right there with his wife, 
Uh, they maybe, maybe would have been successful for 10 more seconds at least. Um, you know, if, that, if Adam's like, come on, Eve, you know, the Lord told us not to eat this. Uh, it's all math. It's logical. We got a million other pieces of fruit. Enlightenment's overrated. Come on. But, but it was Eve who was deceived. Then Adam comes along and, he, and then he sucked into it. See, the, the point is, I think that's one of the things that, that God holds Adam accountable, that he wasn't covering his wife Eve in the area of spiritual things. See, I think there's something that's really cool when you see a husband and a wife working together in tandem in the area of spiritual things. Because if it was just left up to us guys, the spiritual part of our marriages would be dry and kind of boring. If it was just left up to the wives, it might be a little bit over-emotional, all about the emotion part of spirituality and, and the Lord. But when you have this great blend of a husband and a wife working as a team, I think you have that perfect balance. Guys, are you fostering that in your marriage, working together as a couple? Do you read your word together? Are you praying together as a husband and wife? Do you do family devotions with your kids, bringing Jesus in? And really, guys, you and I are called to be the leaders in that. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And the idea is not just intimacy and romance, but also in the area of of spirituality, uh, that you you spend time with your wife talking about, knowing about, praying about the Lord. Very important. Well, all that to say, <laughs> um, the, the, so the first thing is, is husbands dwell with your wives according to understanding or knowledge. The second piece of this verse is husbands are to honor their wives. The, the word grant, I think, is in some of your, um, your translations there. Likewise, you husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge, granting or giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel being heirs together. Um, so the idea is to assign, when it says to give uh, honor, it means to assign um, um, uh, an appropriation which is due. Give, give it to her what she deserves, um, the honor that is due to her. A wife deserves honor. Um, by the way, the Greek word for honor is simply what you might think. It's value or worth. Value or worth. One of the biggest mistakes you and I make as husbands is not giving value or worth to our wives and acknowledging what she does and how valuable she is. Husbands, have, has your wife ever asked you, can you tell me anything good that I've done? Is there anything that you can compliment me on? Or, or have they ever fished for a compliment that way? That's a good sign that you're not honoring your wife. If she's asking to just find out, do you even like me? Is there anything about me that you actually appreciate? Um, and, and some of you guys have wives that are asking for that. You think, oh, stop being so high maintenance. Don't be such a nag when really her heart is breaking because she doesn't even think you value her in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says, husbands, you are to honor your wife. Give value and worth to her. Now, what's amazing about this, you, if you've been around Athey Creek for very long, you know that I don't think very much of the self-esteem movement. Uh, low self-esteem is not the problem uh, 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 for, for our kids. It's too much esteem. Everybody gets the blue ribbon. Everybody gets the trophy. So for our little kids, so they all win and get all. I think that's the biggest goof we've made uh, raising our kids. Uh, the problem is not low self-esteem. We put too much on esteem. That's true in most cases, almost across the board, except for one thing. That is your wife. Um, in fact, she's, she, she kind of falls in that category where we're told instead of self-esteem, it says we are to esteem others 
as better than ourselves. The problem is, husbands, you don't wanna give that to her because it gives her an edge. If you give her enough self-esteem, she starts feeling better about herself, but you may not be real comfortable with that. You may not be comfortable giving your wife that strong self-esteem lest she gets an advantage on you. And have you ever wondered why you feel that way? It's funny because uh, if your wife starts being confident and feeling good because you've, you've shown how much you love her and you're building up her esteem and you're telling her the things that she's really good at, you, 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 you as a guy, you make the mistake of superimposing your attitude on her. That is, the more she tells you how good you are, you and I, we get cocky. We start thinking, yeah, I really am amazing. <laughs> but you're afraid she's gonna do that. If you give her enough compliments, then she'll think, man, I really am a good wife and somehow that's gonna hurt you. Do you know where that comes from? Satan, <laughs> that's, that's the devil wanting to mess up your marriages, guys. You cannot build up and encourage your wife enough. Give honor, value, worth to your wife as the weaker vessel. You see, there's something about this that's kind of important. Um, and we've talked about, I don't even need to talk about weaker. Weaker does not mean inferior, we know that. A lot of people read this, uh, secular people read this, they see the Bible hates women. It's just a total not understanding what the Bible's saying. It's not even giving it a small attempt. But the woman being the weaker vessel is, is weaker in a, in a sense of um, what she's good at and what you're good at. And, and in the area of weaker, she is weaker in some ways. And, and that is, uh, you know, and, and the, the best analogy I've used over and over, kicked it like a dead horse, uh, it's the wine glass versus the root beer mug, right? The root beer mug is a vessel. The wine glass is a vessel. Which one's the weaker vessel? Easy peasy, man. The wine glass. You wouldn't toss the wine glass around and slide it down the counter and let it smack into the other side. You don't do that with a wine glass. You do that with a root beer mug. Guys are the root beer mug, not that attractive, but fairly functional. Um, we can be slammed around. We can take a hit. Uh, we can be put in the freezer and all that stuff. But the wine glass, man, that's, that's, that's a vessel of honor. That's why the wine glass doesn't go in the cabinet or in the freezer. It goes on display, and many of the restaurants, they'll see the fancy wine glasses out because it's a vessel of honor. It's a weaker vessel. You don't throw it around, but, but it is, a, in fact, it's a better vessel in a lot of ways. See, when the Bible says that the woman is the weaker vessel, it's not a less than. She's not less spiritual or less moral or less intellectual or less talented. That, that's where men of old in previous generations have made a mistake in the way they've interpreted the Bible. But it's quite the opposite. Our wives are so amazing that the Lord says you are to give her honor. It's funny how people have turned to the Bible exactly around to mean the opposite thing. Oh, she's a weaker vessel. And so men just kind of say, well, that's just her being weak, whiny, crying. And, and that's just the dumb guy not getting that the Bible says, what are you doing? Um, it's funny how, um, you know, you can, you can have two cases. I've got two cases sitting in my garage right now. And it's funny because the case that holds my skill saw, I still have the case for it. It's kind of funny. My dad laughs at me because... You lose those cases fairly early, but I, 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 I still have my skill uh, worm drive saw in my case, but right next to that right now is my mandolin case. But it's a funny thing because the skill saw, a couple hundred bucks, you know, you can replace it and you can slam a skill saw around. It takes a lot of abuse and all that stuff. But my mandolin, it's, you know, man, I don't know if you guys know that little tiny thing that I play up here sometimes, 
People don't understand, those things are expensive. I bought a cheapo one for a couple hundred bucks and it didn't stay in tune and it, it you know, was bending, like the, the neck was bending and it was just not really working that well. But I, I started looking at mandolins and they're super expensive because of all the scrolling and the woodwork is real intricate. And like a cheap mandolin begins, like the cheapest decent mandolin starts at like 2,500 bucks. Uh, and then, you, then if you wanna get an average one, you start getting more like 10, 15,000, which I don't have. So if anybody wants to donate that, uh, you can just, uh, no, but, no, but no, the funny thing is, there, there are two cases sitting right next to each other in my garage. Um, but, but it's funny because the weaker of the two is definitely the mandolin. But you better believe, man, I take way better care of that because it's valuable to me. It's worth something. Uh, I don't care what happens to the other thing. And the problem is, guys, you start handling your wives like you'd handle your buddy, the worm drive saw. And you just start throwing it around, your relationship, acting like she should just be tough, and come on. But this is a fine instrument. You don't just throw it around. John Micah from Cutlass has gone through like four guitars uh, through the airlines. Uh, He was telling me how one time he checked his guitar because they made him check it, his acoustic guitar, and... and, um, he was just standing there watching as they were, they took his guitar and literally one of the guys like threw it like 30 feet. <laughs> and I just went, ah, <laughs> he bounced over the other side. He was like, ah. he's had forklifts go through his guitars and stuff like that. You know, it's tough being on the road all the time. I think sometimes we handle our wives that way, but our wife is a fine instrument, uh, if you would. She, she's something that's to be handled with care because she's so amazing. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge um, giving, uh, giving honor to her as the weaker vessel. So how does that look? When you ha- it's how you handle. How do you handle her? Do you handle her with care? Do you speak gruffly at her or to her? Do you boss her around? That's not handling her as a weaker, more fragile vessel. That's actually just handling like you'd talk to me or the guy. It's funny how you and I could be on a job site and we can talk to each other uh, and be rough with each other, and we're all fine. It's all good. But a lot of guys bring that home. I, I remember seeing my dad shift gears. It was such an amazing thing because he was often the superintendent on jobs I got to work with him on. And man, nobody messed with my dad. My dad is about as tough as it gets, and he got it done. He was, he was a good superintendent. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember guys kind of shook in their tennies around my dad. But my dad would then go home and just shift gears, and he'd just treat my mother with such kindness and his voice would even change like the 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 height of his voice he'd start talking higher and more gentle and when I was first married I I didn't get that memo somehow I I didn't that didn't transfer as much and I would talk to Debbie like I talked to my buddies and my dad pulled me aside one time out at the shop I remember we were working on the dirt bikes and and I was like into my first year of marriage and my dad said Brett you know I've noticed that you talk to Debbie kind of gruffly sometimes I was shocked what are you talking about? He says, well, you got to remember, when you talk to Debbie, you need to like treat her with great care. She's wired different than your buddy Kirk Daly. She's different than Tad, your friend, you know, you, you can't just talk to, so, so he, he started demonstrating how, it was, it was hilarious. It was like a cartoon almost, but he was like, you need to talk to her like this. Well, hello, honey, how, how are you doing? Today? It was like, what, what, you got to raise your voice like that? Yeah, don't, you don't want to talk down like this, you know, because uh, it's going to, it freaks her out. Did you know that, 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 that your wife, your voice can really shake her to the core? I think some guys forget that. So you got to be gentle and speak with kindness and loving words. Uh, this is something I still work on. 
because I still don't know how I sound. Treat her gently, carefully, lovingly. There's no room for jokes or sarcasm to put down your wife. Um, uh, if you have children, it's your job to be the head of the house to make sure that, that they honor their mother and that they have you to be a good demonstration. See, this is where I think sometimes I'd start seeing it too, is when my kids, when they were little, they'd start treating their mother bad, and I'd almost start to see things they'd say that were kind of reminiscent of things that I would say to Debbie. And I didn't like it on them. So I'd start saying, hey, you guys shouldn't be talking to your mom that way. And it's good that I defended my wife, just like you should defend your wife with the kids, but you should also model uh, with your kids how to talk. These are things that are hard. I'm just giving you kind of the rundown. Well, uh, so all this thing, the two commands thus far, understand your wife, dwell with them romantically, according to knowledge, and, and as well spiritually in all other ways, and honor your wife as the weaker vessel. And the result is, and this brings us to the third and final point of this verse, is um, uh, the, the result of understanding and honoring your wife. There's a couple things there. One, that you will be heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together. Um, two are better than one, Solomon said. He was an expert on marriage, by the way, Solomon was having 700 wives uh, and 300 concubines. But, but he said two are better than one, but then he said a threefold cord is not easily broken. And the Lord is pro-marriage. He's into this husband and wife relationship. And when you're married and a guy is treating his wife with honor and with understanding, what does the Bible say? You will be heirs together. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey, listen, guys, uh, if you just want to inherit your, your own thing, you get $10,000 inheritance. But if you uh, are loving your wife and, and, and treating her as Christ loved the church and honoring her, you'll be an heir of $10 million. Because together, that's where the big blessing is, as, as heirs together. You gotta, to get the full blessing of inheritance, you got to be a good husband. So being heirs together with the grace, the, the word grace there is charis in the Greek, and it's a word that, that speaks of God's grace as we know it, but also it's a, it's a term of great beauty. And the Lord wants us to have a beautiful life and wants us to grow together and we'll inherit something great if we work on our wives and our marriages in this way. Um, and then so we've got this, this idea of uh, you'll be heirs together, and then number two, your prayers will not be hindered. Now you could blow through that last line of this where it says, uh, brothers, uh, that your prayers be not hindered. You say, okay, got it, let's go, we're done. But, but before we go, is it a problem if your prayers don't reach heaven? If your prayer fails to fly, what does that mean for you? Think about that for a second. Um, what do we have for prayers? One of the prayers I like to pray a lot is confession. I like to pray and say, Lord, will you forgive me for my sins? But if I'm just blowing this verse off and treating my wife badly, I wonder if that prayer fails to fly and my sin, I'm still in it and I'm not really forgiven. Because if my prayer is hindered, it's because I'm still living in the sinful condition of not treating my wife well. And the Lord says, this is a big enough deal that if you husbands blow this one and blow it off, then your prayers aren't even gonna reach heaven. So this is such a fundamental, rudimentary part of your walk as a Christian man that the Lord says your prayers will be hindered unless you get this one down.
That's why I think we should maybe take 1 Peter 3, 7 and say, this is a big deal, huge deal. Because the heirs together in the grace of life, that sounds so nice and everything, but maybe even more importantly, the idea of your prayers failing to reach heaven, that's, that's horrifying to me, if you really think about it. The Lord will not hear your prayer. Uh, that's a big one. So the result is, is understanding uh, 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 is uh, the Lord will hear your prayers and also you'll be heirs together. You know, the late Bible teacher Harry Ironside once um, had a super spiritual young man come up to him and say, uh, say, Dr. Ironside, I have a spiritual problem. He says, I love my wife too much. Now, he, he, he probably thought Ironside would commend him for his great dedication, you know, and love for his wife and all that. Um, but instead, Ironside wisely asked him, he said, do you love her as much as Christ loved the church? And when the young man stammered, he said, well, well, no, I, I don't love her that much. Ironside said, then go get on with it because that's the command. I like that. That's a good word. Uh, none of us have it down. None of us can say, yeah, we're there. I've, I've reached a husband loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Um, so, so we have some work to do. Wouldn't you guys agree that 1 Peter 3, 7 is one of those scriptures you could say, I don't really have that one down. I'm not really nailing that one yet. And if that's the case, how can we do better? How can we do better? Um, I'm just gonna take a few more minutes. Let's do this quickly. What I'd like you to do is break up into groups of three or four. Uh, when I say go, just scoot your chairs around and we're gonna do a little work here. Just a short, we'll, we'll take maybe five or, or four, five or 10 minutes at the most. Just to, just to knock out some stuff here real quick and do some praying, okay? So on the count of three, scoot your chairs and then let me have your attention again, okay? Ready? One, two, three, go. Three or four. All right. I know this is awkward for some of you guys. If this is awkward for you, no big deal. We all feel that way. But it's good to do this. Okay, <clears throat> got a question that I want you guys to talk about for a second. Uh, discussion between the three or four of you guys, okay? Um, and if you're a single guy, don't be afraid to chime in. Uh, let me just tell you, if, if I can only have the same, um, I don't know what to call it, zeal and innocence before I was married, a lot of times I think single guys They've got it squared away because they are originally still the way you're supposed to be. They haven't been tainted with weirdness of being a, a, a guy who's kind of forgotten. So don't be afraid to chime in if you're a single guy and give your two cents worth. I think that'll be helpful. Question, here's a question. How can a man who has trouble expressing his feelings learn to communicate with his wife? How can a man who has trouble expressing his feelings learn to communicate with his wife? I want you to kick that around, come up with some ideas for that man. I'm sure none of you guys are that man, but how does that man uh, come to answer that? Go ahead and talk about that. Just, for, just, just kick it around for a little bit here. Go ahead. Okay, let me, let me, ask, let me ask you guys something here. Okay, so uh, the question was, how can a man who has trouble expressing his feelings learn to communicate with his wife? Um, What's some, what's, did, did any of you guys say, man, that, that's it, like, like, like this guy or this group, that's, that's one of the things we need to do better at. Uh, any, any, any things that kind of stand out as a good solution to that problem? Who wants to jump in? Uh, ask him lots of questions and make 
That's right, man. That, that's huge. If you don't make the time, it'll never happen. Uh, you can, and, and, and you, you know, you just get busy and you just schedule out. Uh, and what was the second part of that? Uh, and, and asking questions. You know, coming up with good questions, that, that's hard, that, and, but, it, but it's, it's the answer. I mean, to be able to ask your wife a loaded question that will give you the maximum information, uh, that's, that's, that's an art form. Um, it might be worth, on the way home from work, pulling the, the rig over on the side of the road and saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with a couple of questions I'm gonna ask her in our time together. Uh, you know, once we get the kids bathed and then tucked in bed, I'm gonna ask her some, some really, uh, powerful questions that'll help me just to know her better. That's a good one. Somebody else, I saw Paul. Yeah. Boy, that's true in, in a lot of areas of marriage, not just the, the communication piece, but on everything to, to really talk with her and hear her out. Because um, she'll be willing to give you some, some pointers and hints on what, what will help. Um, uh, some of us have wives that are more ready to do that. Uh, uh, and some of your wives won't as much, I've noticed, and some, some wives kind of shut down and they don't really want to talk about it. So that's a, that, that can de depend on the marriage. Let me get one more from over this side, over here. Yeah. Why do you guys, he's talking, I don't know if you guys can hear, he's talking about the beam in your own eye uh, um, when you're trying to remove the speck out of your wife's eye. And we gotta be guys that are willing to confess and, and acknowledge that it's our, our problem. And I think you're onto something. I think that um, uh, to try to change your wife, I've never seen that work ever in, 30 years of marriage counseling, I've never seen a man change his wife, and I've never seen a wife change her husband. Not one time. And that's a lot of marriage counseling. So, yeah, looking at your own self, but maybe being open enough to confess the struggles that you have um, with your wife. Question, should you share with your wife every struggle and uh, temptation that you deal with? No. If you did, she would leave you tomorrow. Uh, um, <laughs> And I'd probably encourage her to do the same. No. Um, there are certain things that, that, that it would just, but, but that's where having a brother or a group of brothers you're accountable to, to share the things that you really are struggling with um, and, and to be prayed with and prayed for, that's going to be huge for us as guys to have accountability one with another because you, you can't use your wife to, to handle all of those things. But I think it's right to confess uh, those things that are important for her to know that, that where your heart is at and communicate. That's a big part of communication. Okay, I got another question for you guys. Ready? Here, got to work on this one quickly. Number two, how can a man with a habit of putting down his wife learn to build her up instead? How can a man with a habit of putting down his wife learn to build her up instead? Okay, ready? Go. All right, how can a man with the habit of putting down his wife learn to build her up instead? Who's got some stuff? Let's go, let's go back here. 
the tone, huh? What's that? Politeness, yeah. Boy, you know, uh, one of the things I wonder if, if we've had the whole gentleman thing go out the window. Like to be a real gentleman, uh, be gentleman, gen- be a gentleman. Um, you know, uh, sure, opening the door and stuff like that, but I'm talking about just being gentle, polite, kind. Um, we live in this kind of harsh culture and people just talk mean to each other and man, it just becomes a normal place. Uh, and and I, a lot of men don't even know they're doing it, right? And when they talk meanly, that's the biggest problem. Most of us don't know when we're doing it. Yeah, to turn the volume down just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's good. Somebody else. What? Don't say anything. If you don't have anything nice to say, that's what my mama used to tell me. Yeah. Okay. I will give that a pass for now, but that's not the best answer. I'll tell you why. Because if you don't say anything, it's better to not say anything if you don't have anything nice to say, but you better have something nice to say. Like you really need to say nice things to your wives uh, and, and, and think about it. Like, uh, really come up with a plan and a game plan and look for uh, uh, opportunities to, to build her up. First Thessalonians 5.11, uh, I think the NIV puts it, encourage one another and build each other up. Why in the world wouldn't we build up our wives? Um, and uh, um, that when you do that, for I think some reason we're gonna think we're gonna give her some kind of an edge against us, but uh, you want the eight cow woman. You want the, the, the wife that's walking around saying, man, he really likes me. And, I'm, and, I, you know, and I, I actually have someone who loves me and supports me. And your wife will just be better as you build her up and encourage her. Why in the world wouldn't we do that? You know? Somebody else, what else did you guys come up with? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I said, your kids will be a barometer to see how you're doing as a husband and a father by the tone that they use with their mom. Uh, don't, don't teach your kids, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, yes. Mark. Yeah, whatever you might be putting down about your wife is most likely a reflection of your own failure yep. as, a, as a leader and not protecting her. Yeah, good point. First Corinthians 11 says this, that the woman was not made for the, or the man was not made for the woman, the woman was made for the man, so it's talking about this relationship and stuff, but then it says, and the woman is the glory of the man, and uh, we all say, yeah, that's my wife, she's my glory, that's not what it means, the word glory, the Greek word means the shining out or the reflection of, so she is a reflection of you and how you're doing, if your wife's doing well and she's confident and putting her trust in the Lord, and then oftentimes that means you might be doing something right as a husband. If your wife's not doing well and she's upset with you and sad and, and emotional, and those, there's a chance that there's something that, that she's the mirror, she's the barometer to see how you're doing as a husband. It's tough truth, but I think it's right uh, for sure. Um, Okay, one more, and then we'll be done. One more, uh, real quick. And you gotta knock this one out in a minute, okay? I know I'm not giving you enough time really to deal with this, but one more question. Here we go. Um, How can a man who feels inadequate learn to lead spiritually? How can a man who feels inadequate, the idea is in, in, in spiritual knowledge or leadership or whatever, how can a man who feels inadequate learn to lead spiritually? Go. 
Okay, I know we're not giving, we're not giving you guys adequate time here, but uh, I'll explain that in a second. How can a man who feels inadequate learn to lead spiritually? Who wants to jump in on that? Let's get some of the guys from the other side back here, okay? Uh, right here, yeah. Man, I love that. It's, 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 it really is that simple, I think. And that is, if you're not reading your Bible and praying, just, just you and the Lord, how can you lead anybody spiritually, right? I mean, there's, there's, no, there's nothing to pull from. But I'm convinced that what you said is exactly right, that if you as men are in the Word devotionally daily and praying and seeking the Lord, then you're going to have something to pull from when you're trying to lead your family. Uh, you know, it'd be like this. If, if, if I came to church and, and on a Sunday morning was teaching the Word, I, I'm, I'm sad to say, I think there are some pastors in America who do this. They didn't do any preparation. Uh, they, didn't be, they weren't praying. They weren't seeking. They weren't even studying. They just kind of threw together a sermon about something. And I think people can sense that. I think people can kind of go, he's, he's really not, he's pulling from an empty tank. And you can sense that. But a guy who's in the Word and in prayer, there's something to pull from there. And you may not have understood everything you read. You may not be a total Bible scholar, but I, 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 I'm convinced that if you're in the Word personally, then you will be able to lead spiritually. That's a good one. Uh, really good. What else? Uh, Jim. Yes. I love that. I had to do that. I had to make an adjustment and because, uh, you know, uh, I, I was a pastor before I got married, licensed and ordained. Um, and uh, when I got with Deb, I thought, okay, uh, Debbie, turn in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes as I teach you verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. And she'd be like, are you kidding me? Uh, I'm one person here. Where you talk to me, you know. It's like I had to learn that I wasn't Pastor Brett with my wife, and neither are you. You're not. You don't have to try to be me on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whatever. Uh, I love what Jim's saying. Go small. Um, too many people try to take off. Too, men particularly try to think, well, I got to be a spiritual leader, so we take off these big chunks and think I got to read ten chapters with the kids. Don't do that. Your kids will hate that. Um, but take, you know, take smaller chunks. Don't have to pray big, long, fancy prayers. Uh, start simple. Um, I, I mentioned daily light um, to some of you guys uh, about reading devotionally in the Word. Some guys have a really hard time reading the Word with their wives because they don't know what kind of a chunk to take. Daily light is just Scripture that some people took and put like five or six verses in a chunk that are topically organized. And there's a morning and an evening. Like if you're just wanting to start out and you're having a hard time reading the word with your wife, get that little booklet called Daily Light and you can read it with her and it's easy. You can do it in just a few minutes, but it's, it's powerful, it's the word. It'll give you enough to have a conversation about some, some of that stuff and just, just start small. Uh, and, uh, and the Lord will just grow you together. That's, that's a big one, big one. Uh, one more on that one. Anybody else have any uh, contributions? Al. Yeah, you know, um, in construction, my dad used to say, Brett, uh, when you're sweeping that floor, uh, I want you to be watching those window installers and how they're doing it. 
watch them. You're sweeping, but you're seeing how they're shimming it up and they're putting it all in there and squeaking. You know, it's like um, I, I, he wanted me to be learning while I was standing around doing the other stuff. And uh, that was huge. So I, I, remember, I remember I was on a job installing windows when I was nine. And uh, these guys were marveling. The, the kid knows how to do windows. And how did I learn that? I watched a bunch of guys uh, install. We, we were building this huge apartment complex and it was the exact same windows. They were all the same size. Every house was the same. So once you did one, you kind of had it down. So it looked real impressive. I was this little kid just kind of popping windows in and getting it all squared away. Uh, I think that's the way you do it. You watch other guys who are married, have been doing it for a while, have been kind of sharpening their leadership skills. And then you start to learn uh, as you go. Um, now, here's the thing. Uh, these are three areas I, want, I just want to just very practically challenge you guys in. The three questions I just asked uh, and I'll refresh your memory, uh, since you all have steel trap minds, I probably don't have to do this. But number one, how can a man who's having trouble expressing his feelings learn to communicate? That's the first assignment. I want you to start communicating with your wife uh, uh, just about what she's feeling and, and what you're feeling and, and actually load up some questions that will help you to just really start communicating. Don't be too weird about this. If you do it too much, you'll think, okay, what's happened? It's like the guy that went on vacation for two weeks and he, he vowed to himself, I'm going to talk nice to my wife. I'm going to be into her feelings and treat her really well. Well, he did this and, and, and he did it for two weeks. By the end of the, the vacation, she was all downtrodden and really depressed. And, and, he, and he said, what, what's wrong? He said, well, what do you know? You know something. See, she had gone to the doctor just before the trip. And she was convinced she was dying, and he'd got the message back that she was going to die, and that's why he was treating her so nicely. <laughs> so, so don't do that. Don't, don't just turn it on so much that your wife's like, okay, what's happening here? But, but I want you to, to, to uh, work on, number one, talking to her uh, and, and expressing your feelings to each other. Number two, uh, don't be, like, like the, the idea of putting down your wife or being critical of your wife. Uh, I want you guys to work on that as men, just to say, I'm not going to put her down. I'm not going to be critical of her, but I'm going to uh, First Thessalonians 5, 11 it, encourage one another and build her up. That's what I'm going to do instead. Uh, make that a goal this, this, this next season. And then thirdly, how can a man who feels inadequate learn to lead spiritually? Let's all step up, no matter what level you are, let's step up our spiritual leadership uh, in this next season. And... Uh, and the, 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 one of the reasons I, I wanted you guys to um, get together in the small groups, I would love to see you guys starting to form naturally groups of guys who hook up once in a while outside of church. And this summer, I'm going to have you guys break up into groups because we're going to take a break from the, this, this um, ironworks for the three months of summer. So we won't be doing those for three months. Then we'll pick it back up in September. So we got a couple more before summer that I'm going to be covering. But I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm wanting you to take this and move it outside and hook up for coffee with, with uh, three or four guys. Uh, and uh, they don't have to be just from this group, but if, you, if they're not from this group, they need to know what we're doing here. And we're going to start opening up some of these conversations. I'm going to give you some assignments and some stuff to work on. And I think we need to start being like iron sharpening iron, brothers coming together and kind of talking through some of this stuff and uh, make a place where we really can confess one, our sins one to another, say, hey, I need some help. I need some prayer in this area. Uh, I think it's going to be hugely important and beneficial. Uh, so be praying about that. Maybe some of the guys you just met, maybe, maybe you guys could say, hey, we, we could start uh, hooking up, um, uh, going out to breakfast uh, once a month or twice a month. 
uh, on a Friday morning or whatever works for you guys. So these are the things I'd like to see us kind of start to foster uh, as, we, uh, as we move along in this stuff. Well, Lord, I do <clears throat> thank you so much that uh, your word is so clear and, and it doesn't give a lot of wiggle room for us that uh, like to just be more stagnant and uh, don't want to move, don't want to change. But as we read 1 Peter 3, 7, Lord, we can't, can't uh, avoid it. Uh, that we need to be so much better at honoring our wives and dwelling with them according to knowledge and understanding. Lord, I know that we can walk away from a meeting like this where our spirit is willing, but our flesh is so weak and we get distracted by so many other things. But I pray that as we go from this place that we'd be even on our way home thinking about ways to move in the right direction. And uh, I just pray for the marriages in this group. Uh, I pray that they would just be rich and blessed. Lord, that these brothers would all avoid the pitfalls that so many guys have fallen into time and time again. Lord, I pray that these guys would avoid all that and that, that there might just be exemplary marriages, not just for the sake of showing them off, but Lord, that, that good things would come from the marriages in this fellowship and that there'd just be uh, powerful couples living their lives in accordance to your word, that they might be used mightily. So bless these guys, I pray, as we go our way this morning. Thank you for meeting us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.